Welcome to a special edition of the Innovation Show. I wanted to do something to honor the late DHOC founder and CEO Emeritus of Visa. I still intend to edit down the seven-part series we did for the show, which was in a magnificent gift. But I thought I'd also do this because one of the favorite parts of writing my own book was his forward that he wrote for the book. And I thought I'd create a video with some backing tracks and just read it out to you. And then with a little bit at the end, just to a little excerpt from D from the finale of our show, our seven part show together, which was magnificent, by the way. I had so much respect and it was such an honor to spend days with the man, learning from him. Meanwhile, reading the book all the time, you see, and then asking him about the book. And his, he was very hard of hearing, and we had to do the show, actually, with him on the telephone. Because he didn't have the technology set up, and he had a special device attached to his phone where he could hear what I was saying, because his hearing was very poor. And two years ago, when we recorded that episode, and he said many wonderful things that we didn't record, and it was a shame that we couldn't, but perhaps they were more apt just for a conversation between two people. In any case, he taught me some things like, for example, the origin of the word education is educe, and educe is this wonderful archaic word somewhat that means to draw out, as in draw out potential. And when he told me about that, I was struck by it because it's a very much at the heart of the show. It's what we aim to do with this show. So DHOC, this following reading of the forward that you wrote, that you gifted me, is my thanks to you. DHOC, founder and CEO emeritus of Visa, rest in peace. Out of the lumber of things we are taught, the gravel of our experience and the cement of things we observe, we slowly erect an edifice, an unconscious internal model of reality. We gradually fill it with the furniture of habit, custom, belief and bias. We get comfortable there. It's our sanctuary. Through its windows, small and distorted as they may be, we view society and the world. Our internal model of reality is how we make sense of the world, and it can be a badly built place indeed. Even if it is well constructed, it may have become archaic. Everything that gave rise to it may have changed, since the natural world and human society are never stagnant, they are constantly becoming. 
During the past four decades, the external world has been changing at a rate enormously greater than the rate at which our internal models have been evolving. Nothing behaves as we think it should. Nothing makes sense. At such times, the world appears to be staging a madhouse. It is never a madhouse. It is merely the great tide of evolution in temporary flood, moving this way and that, piling up against that which obstructs its flow, trying to break loose and sweep away the internal model that opposes it. At such times, we experience extreme dissonance and stress. At the heart of that dissonance and stress is paradox. The more powerful and entrenched our internal model of reality, the more difficult it is to perceive and understand the fundamental nature of the changed world we experience. Yet without such perception and understanding, it is extremely difficult to understand and change our internal model. This is precisely where we are today, and it is rapidly getting worse. Deep in most of us, below our awareness, indelibly planted there by three centuries of the industrial age, is the mechanistic, separatist, cause and effect, command and controlled machine model of reality. People are more than machines, the universe is more than a clock, nature is more than a sequence of cogs and wheels. Nor is it a collection of bits and bytes. Numbers are not values. Mathematics can never be the measure of all things. Words and syllables are not reality. And science is not a deity. All human knowledge is an approximation. Useful at times, foolish at others. When our internal model of reality is in conflict with rapidly changing external realities, there are three ways to respond. We can cling to our old internal models and attempt to impose it on the external conditions in a futile attempt to make them conform to our expectations. That is what our present mechanistic societal institutions compel us to attempt, and what we continually dissipate our ingenuity and ability trying to achieve. Attempting to impose an archaic internal model on a changed external world is futile. Second, we can engage in denial. We can refuse to accept the new external reality. We can pretend that external changes are not as profound as they really are. We can deny that we have an internal model or that it bears examination. When the world about us appears to be irrational, erratic and irresponsible, it is all too easy to blame others for the unpleasant, destructive things we experience. It is equally easy to abandon meaning, engage in erratic behavior, or retreat into fantasy. All such is also futile. Third, we can attempt to understand and change our internal model of reality. That is the least common alternative, and for good reason. Changing an internal model of reality is extremely difficult, terrifying and complex. It requires a meticulous, painful examination of beliefs. It requires a fundamental understanding of consciousness and how it must change. 
It destroys our sense of time and place. It calls into question our very identity. We can never be sure of our place or our value in a new order of things. We may lose sight of who and what we are. Changing our internal model of reality requires an enormous act of faith, for it requires time to develop, and we require time to grow into it. Yet, it is the only workable answer. We are not helpless victims in the grasp of some supernatural force. We were active participants in the creation of our present consciousness. From that consciousness, we created our present internal model of reality, which is increasingly archaic. To change our internal model of reality will take time. It will require great respect for the past, vast understanding and tolerance of the present, and even greater belief and trust in the future. It is an odyssey that calls out to the best among us, and the best within us, one and all. No one should be condemned for failure to welcome change. It is a pervasive problem which plagues us all. Dostoevsky put it into perspective in the last century when he wrote, taking a new step, uttering a new word, is what people fear most. The undeniable fact is that we have created the greatest explosion of capacity to receive, store, utilize, transform and transmit information in history and that is causing an even greater explosion in societal diversity and complexity. There is no way to turn back, whether we recognize it or not, whether we will it or not, whether we welcome it or not, we are caught up in the most profound change in the history of civilization. If you think to perpetuate the old ways, try to recall the last time evolution rang your number to ask for your consent. Life is uncertainty, surprise, hate, wonder, speculation, love, joy, pain, mystery, beauty, and a thousand other things. Some we can't even imagine. Control requires denial of life. Life is not about certainty or controlling. It's not about getting, it's not about having, it's not about knowing, it's not even about being. Life is eternal, perpetual becoming, or it is nothing. Becoming is not a thing to be known, commanded, or controlled. It is a magnificent, mysterious odyssey to be experienced. And I'm going to simply leave you with the closing words of Dehock from the seven part series, the magnificent gift, the mini odyssey we shared together. Dehock, rest in peace. I've had a marvelous life, Aiden. I, uh, I simply couldn't possibly ask for more. And, uh, and I don't know how many more years I've got, but I'm excited about them. And, uh, and can't imagine what will happen next.